Good morning again. I want to thank our Liberty Heights family for, for several things. Uh, but in particular, uh, you are, those of you who are familiar, we have, had a, we have built a relationship with Riverview Elementary School and over in Hamilton. And uh, last week we had the pleasure of meeting the principal and she left out of here blown away by you guys. Uh, just blessed. Uh, and you filled up not one. We were going to do fill the pool for school. Well, we end up filling five pools for school. Give yourself a plug. That's awesome. And you say, well, what was that? They don't even put out a supply list at the school because many of the kids are not able to bring that. And they don't want to put a parents in a position to be able to do this. And so Liberty Heights Church, you, us, we responded in an overwhelming way. You filled it up, we filled up a van full, and then another half car full, took it over, filled up half of a storage room with the supplies that you brought. The teachers kept going by looking at like, why? How, what's going, how's this happening? And we're just like, you know what, our people are amazing. So let me give you props. Well done. Well done. The other thing is this, you didn't just give, you know, giving money and giving supplies is great. That is a great thing. Let's continue to do that because that is part of generosity. But... After our meeting last week, we have committed right now, per week, over 260 people hours. I'm part, I'm sorry, per month, per month, we're per month. 260 people hours per month are going over to Riverview Elementary. And what they will be doing is serving in different capacities and loving on them. That's you guys in action, in the community, showing Christ and loving people. Guys, that's, that's a huge thing that we are called to. So thank you for that. We have room for many, many more. And, uh, but they're just uh, literally blown away by that. That reflects very well, not just on our church. We want people to think well about our church. But if they think well about our church, but don't think well about our Savior, I think we missed it, you know? And I think our Savior is being glorified in that. So my, my hope is that we will continue. And there's tables out there you can sign up, and Peter will tell you all about it later. But uh, anyways, I just want to give you props. I want to say thank you. And uh, we'll be telling you more and more about what's going on with that. It's an exciting thing. You ever get frustrated? Anybody? Frustration. No matter how hard you try to do something, you keep coming up short. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it's a sport. Uh, I got to play with my friend Eddie the other day. And my poor friend from Scotland, I gave golf a bad name. Uh, we went out there and he's hitting the ball straight and true. And I'm hitting it right, left and upside down. And I, I literally, I saw all the foliage out there. It was a bad deal. At one point, I drove the ball. And you can ask Eddie, I hit it, and I thought, man, I got a hold of this. I sure did, because it hit a tree about 50 yards down, bounced all the way back, even with me. Frustration. Golf is the most humbling thing I ever have done. Uh, maybe, though, for you, it's, it's a subject in school, not just a sport. Maybe it's that thing you just can't overcome. Maybe it's a hobby that you're just trying to master. If you could just be awesome at this. I mean, whatever it is, that cross stitch that you just, I, I, don't, I don't know what your hobby is. You just you want to get it done. Maybe it's a talent you've been trying to get. Maybe it's a musical talent or, or juggling chainsaws. I don't know what it is. I guess the, the latter would be more of a problem if you're not good at it. But take, take the blades off. But it's just frustrating. You are trying. You've committed energy and time. You've grounded out. You, you've sat there and you want this bad, but it's just not happening. Maybe it's weight management. Maybe you go down a pound and up three. And then down four and, and up five. And you're just like, why can't I get this? Frustration is just part of life. I, I, have, I have and have had plenty of frustrating moments in my life, things that frustrate me. Uh, one currently is singing 
on, in the right key or in just one key at the same time, that's a frustration. You know, I do not sit next to Kyle anywhere that singing's going on. I'm just like, go away. I mean, he may drown me out. It's frustrating. I wish I could just even that thing out. Uh, my Boston Red Sox are frustrating me this season. They bring tears. My, I feel like the Cincinnati Reds for the last 50 years. I just do. It's frustrating. Other things that frustrated me. I remember being in high school and the only thing I wanted to do was dunk. At 5'11 and a half, it was not happening as fast as I wanted it to happen. And I just wanted to get up and no matter how hard I tried, it wasn't happening. Remembering people's names? Does that ever frustrate you? You're like, you are buddy, right? Bud, pal. Hey, how you doing? That... Even if you do like, you know, mnemonic devices or you like give people, like you say, you know, you say their name, then you say an animal, right? What, the, what they remind you of, that animal. And then you think of it later on, you're like, hey, bulldog, mm, not good, not good. That's frustrating to me. I see someone, I know them, I know their face, they know me, they know my name. And I'm like, yeah, frustrating. Video games. For those of us who grew up, you know, we grew up Atari, ColecoVision and television, all those things. You know, and now that's like a joke. I mean, they have games right now. You don't need a controller. You just stand there and you do the movements. But I was with my brother-in-law who's 16 years old and we're at his house and we're playing the new Call of Duty had come out. And anything that shoots, I kind of like. I just think it's cool. And so we're playing. I have a problem with these things they call snipers. Like snipers, they, they just, they blow me up every time. So we're playing, but I didn't know we were online, but he had the headset on and he's talking. And those of you who don't know, you can play with people from around the world. So you don't have to talk to people anymore. It's beautiful. And so you're sitting there. But every time I got shot, it sounded like a mouse was squealing or something. What is going on? And then I realized there's some 10 year old online blowing me up. And every time I got blown up, he just started laughing. I'm like, shut that kid up, man. Video games frustrate me. One of my latest frustrations is this, and, and, it, and it came to me, I, I, was, I, I saw a video, someone said, hey, you've got to check this out. And I saw this video, and after I saw it, frustration set in. Tell me that's not like the coolest thing you've seen all day. That tops Kyle's hair. That tops Kyle's hair. Now, I've taken this shirt. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. All right. I've taken this shirt and I have tried. I even did the little, I'm at home. I have fast forwarded. I've rewound it. I did it in slow-mo. I did it like in stop motion to do this. And I did the whole thing where you go like this. I even did the hand motions. And I sat here and then I folded it like this. And every single time, it's like, you can ask my wife, you don't know how many times I have done this. I have tried. I've gotten it backwards. I've got it upside down. I've got it inside out. I have not got it folded like that. Now, I want to do it badly. I also want to give up. I just want to go back to the old way where, you know, you grab your T-shirt. Well, like in college, it was just like that, you know, right? But I want to go back to the old way. You know, this is another thing I didn't know about marriage. Like, you fold T-shirts different. Like, I'm a, I'm a tri-folder, I call it. Boom, boom. And I know it's less efficient. Throw it like that. It takes a lot of time. That took about five seconds. I could have been saving three seconds right there if I knew how to do it. But I'm just, I just want to go back. I just want to quit. It's frustrating to me. I begin to question my T-shirt folding ability. 
I began to think, what if I have to get another job? I have to go work at J. Crew or The Gap? I will always be a stockroom guy. I will never be out on the big show on the floor because I can't fold these stupid T-shirts right. It's frustrating. My career opportunities are limited now. If I'm not careful with things like this, I get obsessed. Or as I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm on a mission. It's a mission. It's obsession. It is. It just is overtaking me. Because I'm frustrated. I want to overcome it. And I want to win. I don't want to not be able to do it. And I'm like, ah! So I'll spend ridiculous amounts of time in two-second increments, wasting it over and over. So the time I would have saved by folding it right, I've wasted. So it's already it's just a wash. And after a while, I'm doing it to prove something that no one else cares about. My frustration becomes my focal point. And if I'm not careful... My depression point. I'm frustrated. This, this is not what I want to be. It's not what I want to do. But it's a t-shirt. It's a relatively small thing. But what if it's about something that's more serious? We're going to be in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. If you have your Bibles, you can flip it open. Uh, and I hope to check this out because this passage, when I read it, brought frustration. What if it's about something big? About, about not being able to hold down a job? What if it's about keeping a relationship or, or, or your health? What if it's about something eternal? The frustration. I read this passage, and when I read this passage, I'm like, exactly. That's exactly how I feel right there. That's it. When I whittle it down, I get this is what frustrates me. Now, the, the writer of this passage is a guy named Paul. His previous name was Saul. He's got a name change whenever he changed his life, gave it over to God. He was raised in a very affluent, religious situation. He was, as I said, he was like the most religious of the religious. You would pick up your manuscript at the time, the Torah, and you would say, Paul, have you ever read this before? And he began quoting it before you were done. He knew it. When he walked down the street, people were like, ooh, step aside, this man. This, this is a good man. This is a man who, because of his righteousness, perceived, because he was so urgent to do the things of God, did what a lot of religions do and overstepped what God said to do and twisted and made it something totally different. He began to persecute people that God said, never said to persecute. But he was so righteous in his own mind at that time that he said, oh, I've got to get rid of these people and not understanding that that is not how God has called us to live. We're called to live with grace, and love, mercy, edification. People that we disagree with, we don't beat them over the head. We, we walk with them. But at this time, that's how Paul lived. Then he met Jesus on a road Emmaus, and he was blinded, and God had to get his attention, said, listen, your focus has been on all this stuff. Now it's time to be about me. Radical conversion, he comes to know Jesus Christ, begins to walk powerfully after him, loving him, going everywhere he can to let people know, hey, listen, it's not about doing all this stuff, all this frustration that you have, because everybody would look at him and be frustrated that they weren't living up to that. He goes, it's not about that. It's about something else. But then he said this, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Now, try to follow and track with this. We'll, we'll sum it up in the end, but here's what he said. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. 
For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. He's saying, I really want to do it. I, I want to do the right thing. I just, I just keep coming up short. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But I am doing the very thing I do not want. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law which... With, uh, the law of sin, which is in my members. He says this. This is, this is, you know, like, oh, Paul, don't be so hard on yourself. But there's a point. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. He was trying to do the things that would honor God. But he kept messing up. He'd make a bad choice here, a bad choice there. Everything's going great, and all of a sudden he missteps one. It's like, oh, man, that's not what I want to do. Have you ever found yourself there? You know, things are going good. They're rolling well. You know, you kind of have that day. I, I remember when I was, I was, I was, man, I was probably like junior high, and someone said you can't be sinless. Like, you, you know, no one can have a day you don't go without sin. I set aside a 24-hour period to go without sin. Oh, and I tried. Oh, I tried hard. Basically, I didn't talk to anybody is what I did. I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to be quiet. Paul was sitting here saying, listen, I'm trying to do this, but I mess up. I, I empathize with this. I feel him. Man, I, there's things I want to do and I want to be a part of. And not that I'm known for it, but because, you know, the whole deal is this. No matter how people look at you, you know you. You know your weakness. You know where you fall short. You know where you screw up. You know, though, you know, there's things that you think that you should never think about people that are mean and ugly and nasty, even though it doesn't come out. And sometimes it does come out. And that just shows our hearts. But, I mean, I'm like this. You know, the desires there, like, yeah, of course I want to I walk with Christ. And I, I want to live holy because I'm understanding, some, you know, who he is. And I want to live that righteous life. But, man, I, I just, I'm going here and I step off because of selfishness or whatever else. And Paul's frustrated. He talks about this internal tug of war between doing things in his flesh his, or his nature that was influenced by the way he used to be. But he says he is the one who wants to do good. So there's this desire, this tug of war. You ever feel like that? Just inside, you want to do what's right, but you keep doing this. Maybe it's an old habit. Maybe it's just something that keeps pulling you back. Maybe it's that, that, just that sharp tongue. And, and maybe you were raised that way. Maybe you're raised in a home where, man, that's just the way it was. Or you're raised around people who just, man, they just cut people down and chop them up. Whatever your thing is, it just pulls you back in. So, again, you get five steps forward and you go six steps back, it feels like. Frustration. And often, as Christians, we become so frustrated, so frustrated, with not measuring up to this holiness. As we look at who God is, we get so frustrated that we want to give up. We read verses about doing good, righteous things, seeking first the kingdom, but we're selfish, living fearfully and materialistic. Yeah, I know I should be that, but I am this, and I realize it, no matter what anybody else thinks. 
So what do we do? A lot of times there's some options. Sometimes people quit. Marathon, right? I got around the block. That was my marathon right there. I ran a marathon, quarter of a mile. I mean, who get? I mean, does someone have like a, you know, they have like a monopoly on the word marathon? No, I can use that. My marathon's around the block. Well, was it a true marathon? No. I settled. Some try to, some try to just earn it. So what they do, they do this. They say, okay, I can't live in this right state because my mind keeps falling off and I know this is my weak spot. I'm never going to overcome it. I'm really frustrated by this. So I'm going to do all this. I am going to go work in five more ministries within the church. I am going to go out and serve, serve uh, meals to these folks who are needy. I am going to adopt a child from overseas and sponsor them every single month. Now, I may just do five. Why? Because if God looks at me, he's going to say, well, obviously that kind of levels you out. It doesn't work that way, though. And yet we do that, and sometimes we encourage it. And let me be the first to say, this is my 16th year in ministry, and I'm raised in a pastor's home. I've seen it. And fortunately, I wasn't raised in a home that did it this way, but I've been around it. Where sometimes, sometimes, Christian leaders will make people feel guilty to get them to do what they want them to do. Oh, well, you need to use your gifts. Well, it kind of reflects your heart now, doesn't it? And they're guilting people. Tell me that that is godly in any way. Absolutely not. So we get more and more frustrated. Paul is saying this. I'm frustrated with this. We work hard at doing these things and we realize it's not humanly possible. I'm trying to live up to the standard, but I, I just can't match up. So what are we to do? What are we to do? We're told by Christ, but he was perfect. He is God. He walked on water, people. We can never match up. Is it even possible? Paul thought so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it's a very interesting verse because this is the same Paul who just got done saying, man, I'm falling short, I'm messing up, all these things. And he's talking to the church of Corinth, who is a young church, and they're kind of going through some different things. And he says, be ye imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what happened? What, what, what happened here? He just got done saying, I'm not matching up. I'm frustrated by this. I really want to do this. But then he pins the letter to these guys over in Corinth and says, but be like me. Whoa. Like, see? See, Sean, that's where, that's where the Bible confuses itself. Not really. And here's why. Let's, let's move forward. The key is this. Paul knew, and please get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Paul knew that the secret to being a Christ follower, to being a follower of the way, to being a child of God was not perfection. It was not perfection. He knew that we needed to be focused. We needed to be faithful. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to break those down. But so many people are trying to be perfect. And, and when they fail, they think they failed to live out the Christian life. And they fail God, so they give up in disgrace. And they sit on the back rows, or they don't come at all. Like, man, I can never do that. Maybe it's rooted. And, and I, I guess I kind of looked at this. And I'm like, why, why does this happen? And I think maybe it's this. Maybe it's rooted in the human relationships that we have. You know, where maybe it was a parent or someone else. Uh, or, or, or a relationship that you were in, or, or a friend, or a teacher, or a coach, who set, set a bar so high and, and you didn't get to it. No matter how high you jumped, no matter how hard you ran, no matter what you did, no matter how many extracurricular things happened, you didn't reach it. 
and all you ever felt from them, the people who are supposed to give you love, the people who are supposed to edify you, uplift you, and encourage you, was you're not good enough. And maybe it's just a perception that you had, but maybe it was true. And then we begin to begin believe lies about ourselves. I'm never going to measure up. I'm always going to be second tier. Why well, even try, man? And we take that relationship of that disappointed dad, that dad who you could never do the things right enough for, that, 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 that relationship in high school or college or in your young adult days, that they just walked away from you, and you're like, what? And, and you begin to believe the lies. You weren't good enough, which probably was not the case at all. And we transfer, transform that, uh, transfer that to God. We say, that's how God must operate. Because these relationships work like this. That's how God must operate. So I view God through the lens of these broken relationships, these relationships that were off kilter. I view God that way. Does that make sense? How we can take these relationships and they impact this one with God. And I think that's why so many of us get so frustrated. But he does not operate that way. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And I love these verses that we're going to get into here. Galatians chapter 3. He doesn't operate this way. Here's the deal. Please get this too. God does not have a love meter that fluctuates. God does not have... A, a meter that says, okay, today I love you more, today I love you less. Today I love you more, today I... It, It's not a situation where he sits there and he offers 95% love to us. It doesn't work that way. You're like, how is that even possible? That's not human possible. Exactly. He's supernatural. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of all things. He can love unconditionally. That is hard for us to grasp. It's incredibly hard for me to grasp. And yet he does it. And understanding this, Here's why. Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 27 says this. It says, talking to those who have received Jesus Christ, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is crazy. All of those who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. All of those who say, I want you to take over my life, forgive me my sins, I want to live my life according to you. All of those who give their life away to Christ, not just believe in him, but give their life away to him, he says, you're clothed in Jesus. So whenever Jesus is looking down to us, all he sees is Jesus. Whenever God is looking down to us, all he sees is Jesus. He says, that's my son, he's perfect, he's righteous. And we are clothed in Jesus Christ. Like, Sean, how does that work? I'm not really sure. It's just one of those things that he offered. He gave it to us. He said, here you go. So it's not about us earning because we couldn't possibly get to that level. Because when Jesus is our Lord, our boss, our owner, our director, the savior of our life. The things that we do contrary to God, the things that we mess up in. He doesn't see that. He sees Jesus. You see... He saw that Jesus paid the full payment for our sins on the cross when he came down and, and, and Kyle and I didn't even talk. So I saw that video. I'm like, this is crazy. This is so good. Whenever Jesus Christ came down and said, here's the deal. I'm going to live here 33 years. I'm going to walk among you. I'm going to, you're just, we're going to touch. We're going to, we're, you're going to, we're going to be a part of life together. And he said on his 33rd year, he went to a cross willingly 
and he died because someone perfect, a perfect, a perfect sacrifice had to take place, and he died on this cross for our sins. So whenever Jesus, whenever God looks at us, He doesn't say, uh, "What do you, what have you done for me lately? What have you done? Are you matching up?" No, He says it's paid. It's paid. It's done. If you're covered in Christ, it's done. It's covered. So this crazy, ridiculous game that we're doing and, and trying to run faster, jump higher, and, and, and leap further. God goes, why? Why? I don't love you any less. Romans 8.1. Please flip over to this verse because this is powerful stuff. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And I think this is a verse that a lot of times we miss because we... We don't think we deserve it, and we don't, but it's given. Once he sees Jesus at full payment, and we realize we cannot do anything else to make God accept us more or see us in a better life. This verse is beautiful to me. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember we talked about we enter into Christ Jesus, we become part of him. There's no condemnation. That means there is no penalty of death in eternity for you or for me if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and He's taken over our life. None. Zero. Zip. Nada. There's no going back. You're in. This is it. God said, I love you. Unconditionally. How do we compare that on earth? We can't. We can't. I mean, I talk to new dads and, and maybe that's the closest thing I can, I can understand maybe a little bit. Uh, they see their child for the first time and new moms and it's just like, I will do anything for this child. Anything. And the kid wants to remind them when they're 16, remember what you said about 16 years ago, right? But that even pales in comparison to the love that God has for us. Why does, and this is the piece, why does God love us? I don't know. I don't get it. Even if you're a good person, a nice person, I don't know why he loves us. Because there's nothing I've done that could earn that, but everything that his son Jesus Christ did earned it. I don't get it. Why? I don't know. But you know what? I'm thankful for it. It's called grace. It's beautiful. So for us to sit here and I got to understand everything, really, you're not gonna. Sometimes we have to accept he just loves me. And this may be a revelation to some people who come from religious teaching where, uh, or just an assumption. We're supposed to follow all these rules and do all these good things. And, and, and maybe he came from a religious background that had the, scarce, the scared straight approach. You know what I'm saying? Do this or... Do this or, or, or maybe they told you there's God is in heaven with some kind of cosmic good behavior chart. Oh, another sticker for him. Another sticker for her. Well done. Good job. And all of a sudden you follow that thing out and you're like, get to heaven. There's no cosmic good behavior chart. God goes, no. You can't do anything to earn this. This is a free gift that I've given through my son, Jesus Christ. Accept it or reject it. You accept it. You're part of me. I love you. And you say, well, doesn't he love the people that, that reject him? He does. Because it says, but God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So before we even accepted him, he gave the ultimate sacrifice and said, hey, I know you're going to reject me, but I love you, man. I want you so with me. I'm going to pay the ultimate price for my son and he's going to die. And I'm giving you that price. That's love, man. That's love. But I want to straighten a few things out real quick. God is not trying to scare you or get you to perform. He's not sitting in the hammer with some big judgment hammer, uh, sitting in the, in the sky with some big judgment hammer ready to bring it down, and he's not keeping score. 
His desire is for us to live in relationship with him as he designed keeping his commandments. Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what does Paul tell us to do? You ready? Here's what he says. First of all, we have got to admit. We've got to admit that we have sinned, that we have gone against God's commandments. And as a result, we have taken sides against God. You're like, whoa, 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 I don't hate God. Anytime we break a command of God, we have set ourselves in opposition to him. Someone may not hate their parents, but whenever they break that curfew rule, they have set themselves in opposition. Intentionally disobeying sets ourselves apart. That's sin. Sin is disobeying God's commands. Romans 3.23, for all sin and comes short of the glory of God. So we've we got to recognize, I've messed up. I have broken some of the commands of God. That's step one. That's a hard one for some of us. I'm good, man. I get good. And, and let's use good. You do nice things. That's cool. That's great. And a lot of people, you may even get awards for that. But there's none righteous, no, not one. And only the righteous can go to heaven and embrace that relationship with Jesus Christ. So my question this morning is this. Are you trying to be good enough for God to love you? He already does. He already paid the price, guys. The second thing is, is this. Recognize that because we have taken sides against God, He cannot have the relationship He planned to have with us. Our sin means that we are doing things that undermine God's plan, and because of that, He can't walk in relationship with us. So what are we to do? Paul said it, Romans 7 again. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind and serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. We're in opposition. We have sinned. We're in opposition to God. What do we do? Ready? It's about to get beautiful in this place. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we're cleansed from unrighteousness, that means we are now what? We are now, this is for you to answer, we are now righteous. Unrighteousness gone, righteousness in. How does that happen? I don't know. I I don't understand it all. But because of the price that was paid, we are now seen as righteous. Titus 2.11. If you want to check it out, it's, it's all the way like all the way to the right. But if you want to check out a great passage, check this out. Titus chapter 2.11. I love this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. If you, if you guys want to flip over there, this is really a good one to underline. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God and the great Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's it. We confess our sin. God, I'm sorry. I let you down. I blew it. I stand. I've stood in opposition to you by breaking your laws and your commands. Now, you say, well, Sean, what about grace and what about law? Yeah, but there are still a way to do things that God has said, this is a righteous life that I want you to pursue. And because we break those things, he says, you're in opposition, but you're ready. This is so beautiful. This is so freeing, especially if you come from like a really religious background. 
Because it's not about what you do. It's not about how you perform. It's not about how you, who you were born into, whose family. It's about who I am and what I am willing to do for you. If you are willing to give me all that junk, let me wipe it away and take me as Lord of your life. It's all about him and what he can do. That is beautiful. Why? Because otherwise we would spend our lives in futility and frustration trying to measure up and getting to the end of the road and standing at the gate of heaven and going, did I make it? Did I make it? Where's the chart? Where's the chart? Did I make it? How, How good is good enough? Can't do it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There's only one way. And I know that that seems so narrow-minded. I know it, it's like, ah, Sean, man, that, that, you can't just say that. I didn't, so I'm, it's off me. Jesus Christ himself said it. So, either he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's a truth there. It's got to be one of the three. I believe he's a truth there, and I believe he is the Son of God. When he says, you've got to come, but you've got to come through me. That's the only way. But I want to earn it. You can't earn it. But I want to do some more good stuff. You can't. And so we live those lives of frustration, sometimes quiet and sometimes out loud. And, but we're trying, 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 trying. And maybe everyone will, uh, will look at me and, and then they'll applaud me. And then all of a sudden God will applaud. doesn't work that way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. So we accept him. We give him our life. And it's not just about saying a prayer. It's about saying, God, here's my life. Whatever you want me to do, anything, please cleanse all this stuff, this garbage, this junk. And he takes it and he says, I will renew you. Romans 12, 1 and 2, a great passage where we're told that he beseeches, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, and says, which is your reasonable act of service. Then it says, we're to be not conformed to this world. Don't be like the world, man. You don't have to track with all these people who are telling you to do this, to do that, and it's just a meaningless pursuit. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Woo. So you don't got to live that way anymore. You're free. Let me change it. And that's where our focus comes in, in getting to know Jesus Christ. We renew our minds through his written word that he left behind and through prayer. This type of life, it takes full-on devotion. We often dismiss this life where we would sit there and like, whoa, wait, wait, man, full-on devotion. That means I've got to give up this stuff and I have to give up this stuff. It's not about giving up. It's about what we're embracing. We think, man, that's just for the ultra-spiritual. You ready? When Paul is writing these things, he's writing to Corinth and, 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 and 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he said, he said to uh, Timothy, he said, hey, do your best to present yourself to, uh, yourself to God as one approved a worker has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He said, set the bar high, man. Pursue Christ. Make it your priority. Whenever this becomes a priority, the primary focus of our life, the other things begin to drop away, and we begin to get clarity like we've never had before. This is a hard one. There can be nothing else in our life as important as our pursuit of Jesus Christ if we are to live as he intended. But man, we have watered that down, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, I'll fit him in there. I'll fit him in my 15-minute block. It doesn't work that way. 24-7 thing. My pursuit of Christ. The piece that gets me on this is the prayer piece 
This is what blows my mind. I get reading His Word, and this is, this is amazing to be able to pick up and read the words of God. But the prayer piece that actively right now, I can go to the Creator of the universe. I can go to my Savior. That I can, man, I can get on my knees. Man, I can get right here, and I can be automatically in the presence of God as I invoke His name and ask Him for this, that, or, and, or say, God, I just want to know You. I want to please You. Immediately. But the only thing that that's... Sometimes God saves you from yourself, doesn't he? You were going to catch me though, weren't you? Here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. The only people though who can step into the presence of God are the ones who have already been clothed in Jesus Christ. I don't care how nice you are and how religious you are, what you know. It's not even I don't care. God just says that's not the way. This prayer piece is powerful. And then we have to act on what we find out in his word and prayer. James chapter 1 and verse 22 through 24 says this. And and if you've got your Bibles, you want to check this one because this is another great, amazing verses. James 1, 22 through 24 says this. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not hearers only. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror and goes away and forgets about it. He says, don't just hear about it. Put into action. And then this. He tells us to focus on getting to know Jesus after we've accepted him as our Savior and then to faith, be faithful in pursuing his holiness. At the end of the day, we have to realize we can't do this on our own. It's not possible. But then why am I even trying, Sean? Because Jesus Christ said, with God, all things are possible. And in our pursuit of Him, we step in line with Him. And He gives us power and empowers us through His Holy Spirit. Here's what happens. When I bring my life and I give it to Jesus Christ, I do with it whatever you will. Anything you want, I'm in. Totally. I want to obey you as my Creator. My purpose for life is in obeying you. That's what I want. Whenever I do that, whenever you and I do that, He says He sends the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, a guide who walks with us and directs us. And we're not going to live a perfect life, but we can live a life pursuing holiness. And we begin to walk in, in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which we talked about before, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable act of service. How do you do it? God, today, I'm in. I'm in. I want my mind right before you. I don't want anything to invade it. And God, I want to be in your word. I want to walk this out. God, today, just help me. Moment by moment, day by day, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. We're going. We're grinding at it. But here's the question. And this is, this is the piece where we fall short. This, in so many of our lives, is not a big enough priority to do that. We'll have a week, a stretch. We'll have a couple days. But to actively be pursuing this as if it was our breath. We fall short. But the beauty is, God says, okay, come on back. Let's walk together. And we get back up and we begin to walk and pursuing this holiness. That is how he designed us to live. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. It's just kind of an encouragement to people like me who it says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we shall weep if we do not give up. And understand this. The holy life is not primarily a life of avoidance. I think so many times people are like, well, I'm going to be a Christian. I've got to not do this and not do that and not do that. It's not really what it's about. It's a pursuit of good, godly, 
uplifting, helpful things. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where, where you've come from, and I, and, I, and I can't even pretend to know what's happened in your life to this point, but I do want you to understand this. There is a God who loves you so dearly. And yes, He does want you to receive Him as Savior, but then He wants to walk with you. But first, we've got we to gotta realize that, man, we are just sinful people. And I think and the author, Jerry Bridges, said some amazing stuff, and he was talking out of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. And, and uh, I'm going to turn there, and this is going to really be our final scripture. But I want you to hear this. This is Isaiah. Isaiah said this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. This is an actual visual thing. He saw a vision. Seraphim, angels, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called up to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with the smoke. And then I said, woe is me, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Until we see our, our own selves as unclean and broken and, and, and to compare that to the holiness of God, a lot of times we're never going to find ourselves desiring, desiring him to wash us clean. Because we're like, I'm okay. No, we're not. We're not okay. We're not. We're broken. We have stuff that is just jacked up in our lives. We've got simple nature. We're, we're going here and there and trying to, trying to make ourselves matter in what? What's the finish line? Jesus Christ says, it's already done. Let me take over your life. Let me redeem you. Abide in me. But we've got to give him everything. Every bit of us. And many times we don't want to do this because we're not in awe of God. We're not afraid of God anymore. We're not afraid of God. If we understood who God was, every single day we would wake up and be like, man, how can I serve you? Because, man, that is the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a healthy fear. And remember that you're not going to ever be sanctified here on earth alone. It's the process of God working through you and the sanctification of totally being uh, as we were intended to be will occur in heaven. But right now we're walking it out so we can impact others so that glory can be given to God. And you live your life righteously so that God will one day look at us and say, well done. You say, but God doesn't see my sin. But the thing is this, you are not left here just to be another person in their pew. You are here to make an impact in the world. And my friends, I want to stand before God knowing I did everything that I could to bring Him glory. I want that to be my focus, but so many times it's not. I want to wrap up with this. We need to be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. That only happens by intentional living. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a daily submission to God, seeking of what He desires for our lives. It comes through reading Scripture. It comes through prayer. It comes through a mindset that's locked in on Him. You're like, Sean, that seems like a lot of work. But understand, there's nothing impossible with God. And this is work well worth it. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes giving our lives fully to Him. It comes when we want God more than anything else. And we order our life in that way to find Him. In conclusion, I don't know where you're at. I've already said it. Today, maybe you came in and you're just tired of doing all the stuff. You keep coming up short. You've been frustrated. You're not hitting the mark. You're wondering, does God love me? Am I, am I, am I measuring up? 
you. Push him away from the holiness. You just, you just kind of stopped. Maybe you watched others falling short and base your view of God on those who mess up in our pursuit of God. First, let me say this. I'm sorry that my shortcomings have pushed you away from God. I'm sorry to the body of Christ that that has happened. I'm sorry that happened. But please, do not base my God on my shortcomings or on the shortcomings of others. Oh, much better. He is so much more worthy. Maybe you came in today and you tried doing all the good things, but you realize you never fully gave your life to Christ. You've been trying. You've been coming to church. You're grinding it out. You're doing all these good things. Up, down, you're here, there, doing everything. But then you go, whoa, whoa, when was my moment? When was my time that I, never, that I gave my life to Jesus? I said, it's all you. It's all about you. I never did it. I just came to church. And, and maybe I, I, I mumbled some things here and there, but I have never fully given my life. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe the light bulb just came on. I've been religious, but I've never been redeemed. Today's your day. And maybe you're here. And you just want to stop just trying to get by. Maybe you're a Christian. Yeah, you walk with God. You have a relationship with Him, but you've just been getting by. You're just looking right and left and measuring it out. Maybe it's time to stop playing games and get focused. Because you and I will never know what it was like. I, I fear for the day when I get into heaven and God says, Oh, what could have been, man? If you just made me the point. If you just come after me, you would have experienced fulfillment like you've never imagined. You would have seen things that you could never imagine. And yet, you settled for that, Sean. Because you had all this other stuff going on. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're frustrated like me. But you don't want to be. According to God's word, you don't have to be. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. Because this is a very, very personal thing. Just close your eyes. Just, just in this moment, I just want you to think. Where am I at? Am I even pursuing God? If I am, am I frustrated in that pursuit? Where am I at? Do I have a relationship? Was there a time and a place where I began a relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, today is your time to start that. All it takes, asking for forgiveness and accepting Him as Lord of your life. And maybe you've just been living in mediocrity, but now you want to refocus, you want to get back up, you want to go after it, you want to pursue them. If that's you, in a moment, we can give you an opportunity just to respond. You respond right where you're at. You can come down here. We'd be happy to talk to you. But don't miss this. It's the most important thing you and I will ever do. And we don't have to live that frustrated life.